Welcome to the Career Pro Inc. podcast and live session today, March 3rd, 2021, with David Manica. And we're going to talk about Lycanomics, critical for the 21st century knowledge worker success. Love that big long title. What does it mean, David? <laughs> Well, you know, I'll, I'll give a high level what it means. We're going to have a couple of exercises to start out. So the podcast folks can do these exercises as well. So, you know, Lycanomics is about the idea of how you connect with folks based on your actions and activities that ultimately define whether someone's going to like you or not. And the reality is it's not about being nice. I mean, I think a lot of us are can get fixated on being nice as a way to be liked. And um, that is just not the case. So we're going to dig into that element with it. But to, to set the stage, I want to um, do some practical examples for you so that you can see that, that, that this isn't just a bunch of fooey. So the first thing I want you to do is I kind of want you, you know, you'll have to close your eyes, but just think. And then think about a couple of people you do not like. Just think about them for a second. As you're thinking about them, right one or two or three habits that they have that cause you to not like them. So take a little bit and kind of think through, okay, who is that person? What are one or two of their habits that, you know, you, you find annoying that, you know, causes you not to like them. And then after that, register whether they are nice or not in general. Say, so is this generally a nice person? So we'll take a couple seconds here and, you know, certainly the podcast folks can, can do this exercise as well. John, you have some thoughts why we're doing this exercise? Uh, yes, I do. In fact, uh, I wrote um, some notes, but here, the ironic thing that I've noticed, and it's not because you gave, a, gave me this exercise before, but I note that the people that annoy me are sometimes the people that, are, that have a similar personality to mine. Okay, that's good. All right. So, so and it, it's probably the elements of your personality that you know are annoying, and then you're seeing that in somebody else. Well, I mean, you just I, part of my job sometimes is to interrupt, but when it's not time, when it's time to listen, sometimes those interrupting things are can be annoying. So sometimes our best qualities are that. But um, yeah, I think uh, maybe it's just competition. I'm not, I'm just not sure what it is, but I, I often find these things very reflective on myself, unfortunately. <laughs> that's the harder, that's the harder part of an exercise like this. I don't know what anyone else is finding. Well, I think what you're going to find, John, is part of, part of like economics is truthfulness. So even though you might have an annoying habit around timing and relevance, your truthful, transparent nature can overcome some of the relevant and timing issues you have. And, and interrupting is a timing issue. You're not giving some, you're, you're talking when, when it's not your time to talk. And that's part of one of the elements. All right. So that's a good exercise there. And I know some folks don't like exercises, but at least gives you some time to think. What we are going to do a second exercise. And again, I am not a huge fan of this, but I just thought this would set the stage a little bit better. So this is the second stage of like economics is what are the top two or three groups that you participate in? Just think about it. Top two or three groups. It's a, a church group, a trade association, a meetup, a jogging club, whatever a case may be. And who are the type of people that are around you? Are they similar, somewhat similar, or completely different? 
So think about that for a second. So the groups that you put yourself into, you know, what do they look like? And this is an insidious one, and this is the one that causes us a lot of problems culturally right now as well. Um, and it's something that we have to become more aware of to break through our stereotypical tendencies. So I'm giving you a bit of a hit here right now, but um, anyways, you should you should have, you should see some some trends in and when you do this process. John, any thoughts on that, or Dana, any thoughts on that from you? Well, it's interesting, <clears throat> David, because I'm. I think there's two parts to this, if I'm not mistaken, what you're suggesting is what is the nature of the group we're in? Is that aligned with who we are? And then what are the nature what is the nature of the people that we associate with the top people with that we're closest to within those groups? Is that kind of what yes. you're yes. So there's two elements there, right? Are you challenging yourself to go outside the box of who you are? And then are you challenging yourself to see other things? And we're going to find out what Lycanomics, the insidious nature of Lycanomics is we have a tendency to like people who are like us. Huh. And, and, and some elements. And we're more comfortable with people we, that are like us. And that's one of the insidious sides of it that we have to work through. And we're not, nat we're not naturally attuned to like things that are not like us. Let's put it that way. It doesn't come naturally. You have to force that skill. John, what were you going to say? Well, I'm, I'm comfortable in the groups that I've been around for a while, like this group, I'm comfortable. Uh, but when I get outside of that and enter into a place where, you know, I'm not supposed to lead it or whatever, I'm uncomfortable because I'm not sure, like, you know, what, what's my role? Um, I know that when Dana and I, Dana, this is coming back, by the way, are physically going out networking for clients, which was shut down for the better part of a year. Uh, we were both comfortable because we were always going out, not just with our own purpose, but with the purposes of our clients. And now we have to shift that all online. But I kind of like, I don't know, those are just a couple observations. But we, mm -hmm. I tend to put myself in places that I've been before where I'm most comfortable. And I dislike places that, you know, I'm being invited to maybe some project management thing by you that I've never done <laughs> before with a lot of super technical people. That's right. And I think what happens then is that we don't feel the likability because we don't connect and we think that they're not going to like us because of certain elements. And, and, and that's something we have to strive to get over. So what I'm saying here is that as we learn about economics, there's some elements that will help us out significantly, but there's other elements that hold us back that we have to watch out for and be significantly aware of. And the very last exercise, I promise, I promise, 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 this is the last exercise, is... Have you ever bought from something from somebody that you didn't like? Have you ever bought something from somebody you didn't like? And think back, if you did, did you ever buy from them again? And this is a short exercise. So did you ever buy anything from somebody you didn't like? And if you did, did you buy from them again? David, that's a good one because I just... <clears throat> Got it down. There's one. There's one I thought of that I bought from, but I had to go back to because there wasn't any other source. That's right. You had to. That's the that's the the definitive thing. And what we got to realize, is, you're going to see this in the slide. And somebody who has something that's special, that's something that's scarce. If you're a jerk, you can get away with it until your scarcity erodes. <laughs> 
And this is part of what happens with the experts' power base. And this happens a lot with, we have a couple scientists on the call, and this is what happens on the science side is that an expert power base begins to erode and you start feeling uncomfortable because of that. And the like, and then you start pushing back because you feel that erosion occurring and then your likability goes down significantly. David, before you jump in, and I'd love others to participate while they're writing some notes, hopefully. Uh, one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this is that I've seen people make decisions in hiring and career, and maybe many people on the call can relate to this, in good and bad ways. Um, almost a lot on likability and rapport versus competency and, and many other things. Like I, <laughs> It's just, it's just quite unbelievable. Like they'll forego completely qualified people because they sometimes clients, you know, just because they're maybe a little bashful or whatever, they don't try to make themselves very likable. They just look, just accept me for who I am and what's on my resume. And it's not natural. It's not natural. This is the problem. You got it, it's, it's such a challenge because that is not the natural way human beings interact with one another. Yeah, you want that to occur. And we all want to strive to be that way. And that's part of what this presentation is about, is as a human being, you want to push the stereotypical patterns that are inside ourselves to connect with people we like. But at the same time, we have to utilize this to be successful, especially when we're in a stressful situation like trying to find a job. And that, that's the tough part. Okay. Well, keep going. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, so a question for you. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you and uh, Dana talked about sales and how uh, you know the job search has some similarity to sales with a very uh, uh, high failure rate. Yes. Um, part of this, we need to talk about like how you get some meaningful feedback when uh, you, know, you can be really high on likability, but still you know continue to you know to experience quite a high failure rate just given the nature of of the, the interaction. Yeah, the problem is that people aren't going to give you honest feedback like, like, about likability. That's the, right. that, that's the downside of it. So you're going to have to become attuned to that. You're going to have to do some type of, you're going to have to do some level of analysis to say, okay, I was pretty good fit for this job. You know, what were the differences in my personality versus the personality that was interviewing? Maybe the culture was different. And then make that and make that assessment. But yeah, they're not. You're in sales too. It's very difficult to get real feedback. You have yeah, to do yeah. a lot of analysis around the connection you had, the pros and cons. Also, okay. Parkeek, you lose a lot of everything to apathy. Like I, I lose a ton of sales and training to apathy, where people just would rather do nothing. And that's where the likeonomics and the emotional comes in. That you can push apathy away if you can get an emotional connection with somebody. But if you don't, then the, the apathy is the state of status quo. This is especially true when you're trying to create something. Um, if there's an open position, this isn't as relevant. But you know, when you're trying to create opportunity, and also when you're trying to um, adjust somebody's mindset, you got to push aside the apathy, and that like economics is going to be critical to do that. So remember that. So if you are going after a straight job that's a posting, you know you don't have to worry about the apathy as much. But if you're trying to create something. You got to push aside apathy, which is usually an emotional connection. And then going back to the final assessment here, as I'm babbling away, would be, you know, you're out to make some analysis yourself as to what you saw as the like economic issues at, at play. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
All right. So this is great. So hopefully you got some thoughts in your minds about some of the things that we had talked about. And let's dig into the presentation itself. And I, I love that. Barkeith did a great job in asking questions. That's what we want here. You know, this is podcast style. So any type of questions that are coming out there, just unmute yourself and throw it out. So we're going to talk about why we are here, likability and competency, what is like economics. And then from there, we're going to have the impact of having power and then cognitive biases. And the impact of having power is very important in the job search process. So I really want to, I want to connect with you on that to make sure you understand the power process that's going on and how it impacts you very negatively. It's the most unfair negotiation you'll ever have in your entire life. And that's a negotiation between somebody who's going to give you a job and you getting a job. And it, it, it's, it's ripe with a lot of psychology, psychological issues. So you can't change human nature. If you ever heard me present, I constantly talk about this. You, you have no magic formula to change human nature. But, but you can understand it and you can adapt to it. That's the key. And, you know, it's funny. Just the other day, I saw a presentation on ethical influence. And I was like, wow, I, I, I didn't listen to it. I just saw the title. And I said, I love that title. Because a lot of the influencing techniques I talk about in this like economics concept, it gets some people uncomfortable because there is an element of manipulation in it. And as I always talk about, manipulation is only there if you are trying to selfishly serve a situation that, that's not moving forward. So you have to understand that even though some of this might seem manipulation, the ultimate goal for you is to move forward and achieve a positive outcome for both you and the person you're working with, then that's okay. Um, so just you got to cross that chasm as well, or you're going to be constantly stuck in this vicious cycle. So what we're talking about here would be, you know, what is human? what are some of these elements of human nature that get, get, in, the, get in the way of the job search, <laughs> like John was talking about? Here's my resume. Here's what I am. I'm a perfect fit. Why aren't you hiring me? And now you'll understand some of the elements of why they might not be hiring you. Any questions or thoughts, John or Dana or anybody else before we jump into this? No, let's go. If there's anyone else who wants to chime in, love to unmute and hear from you, but I'm ready to roll. So the very first thing we have to realize is that our human nature, when you first meet somebody, is going to process you time and time again. There's been multiple psychological reports associated with this and analysis and data. They're looking at you for two very specific things, trust and competency. And they are reading the book as a cover. The less time that somebody interacts with you, the more important this is. That's why the job interview process is so critical around trust and competency. And that's first and foremost. They're going to look at how you're dressed. They're going to look at your body language. They're going to look at whether you're sweating or not. They're going to look at you know, the type of language you use. Um, they're going to look at the resume, whether it's spelled correctly. I mean, these are the little things that are going to, that are going to trigger whether they trust you or not. And we have a tendency to trust people we like. <laughs> not a tendency. We trust people we like more than we trust, we, we trust people we don't like. And this is embedded in our DNA as it relates to our analysis of fight, flight, or freeze. Because fight, flight, or freeze said that I only want to deal with someone I can trust so they won't kill me, and they're competent so they can help me succeed if I'm out there trying to forage for food and do all that good stuff. And the picture here is, says a thousand words, the same person. You know, what was the emotional feelings you got? 
And this is why stereotypes happen. This is why we see some of the nasty things we see in our culture related to people who look different from one another because of this natural tendency. So first off, you got to understand it and fight it within yourself, which means as you are interacting with the world, connecting with someone fast, asking them lots of questions about themselves so that your fight, fight, your fight, flight and freeze mechanism starts connecting with that person. They get comfortable with that person. That's why I always say, if you want to connect with somebody, even if they're outside, ask them lots of questions because you'll find some level of commonality as you go through that questioning process. Um, as it relates to you in the interview process, it's really about visual. The more you know, tight you can look, the more your hair is quaffed, you know, the more that you're, you're as relaxed as possible. The smile, I'm telling you, the smile is huge. I mean, it's, it, and then watch out for that automated business talk I talked about, the robotic business talk, because the robotic business talk is a tell towards lack of competency. All right, you're just going into robot business mode. You know, that's, 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 what you, that's what you were taught. So anyways, this is a very important part of it. You cannot fight. You cannot, you cannot stop this from happening. So any questions on, you know, this concept of, you know, the trust is built on, you know, the, the first impression is built on trust and competency. John, you have a thought? David, any, any changes as we're hopefully switching from kind of this online perception world to to in-person, what, what do you think we need to do tweak-wise? I think up your game a little bit there. I see people kind of very conscientious of that. We talked that, about that before. What are some Yeah, other- online is horrible. They're going to look at your background. They're going to judge your income based on your background. They're going to judge your, your quality of life. They're going to judge you know, you know, how, you know, how effective you are based on your background alone. It's horrible. It's horrible. In a lot of cases, I, I, I say keep your background as, as generic as possible because you don't know what judgment somebody's coming in. You don't know what somebody's processing that could affect you know, their, their impression of you. And, and if you say, well, that doesn't happen, just check yourself. Come on. How many times have you looked at somebody's background and laughed at a book they had? Or what the heck is that stupid thing? Or, oh, yeah, they're doing that to look fancy. I mean, it's just natural to us. So I would say the virtual sets us, gives us even more difficult process here. You know, Keenan, one of the things you'll notice when, when we first started is that for trust and competency, I tried to, you know, make my, I tried to make fun of myself. That is one area to connect with people on is humor and deprecating humor where you're making, you're putting yourself in a fun way. Um, it, it makes the other person comfortable, especially, you know, if, in, if, in, if in a situation where you, you feel like you're not providing the same value back and forth, So that's another way of looking at it. All right. So, as John was talking about, the reality of likeonomics and likability means that I would rather hire that lovable fool over the competent jerk. That's the issue. If I register you as a jerk, which is you're not, I'm not going to connect with you. You're, you're, you're not on my likeonomics spectrum. You're not relevant. And we'll talk about that. Your, your timing is off. I just feel the fact that this is going to be difficult to deal with. I'm going to turn off and I'd rather bring somebody in who I like and enjoy the work with than I do want to bring somebody in who I don't. Very few people can cross this chasm and, and bring in a talented person who might not fit who they are and what they are. I read a really great article one time in the, in the economist about how to join the 1%. 
And there's three you know, areas adjoining to 1%. And they talked about those three areas. One was the th big three consulting firms. I think another one was investment banking. And all they said was, you know, look at who's hiring, dress exactly like they dress, you know, talk about the same things they talk about. And there's a high level chance that you'll get the job there regardless of whether you um, have any skill whatsoever. Absolutely. It's crazy. You mimic back and it's astonishing what can happen. So we have to realize this and understand it. And this is a really happens at work. When I talk about career insurance, this is what happens when companies start to erode. If companies are starting to erode or having a layoff cycle, they're not necessarily just going to put a ledger out and say, okay, you know, these are people who are making too much money. These people aren't. The first thing they're going to do is they're going to go to each manager and say, how many people can you cut? And guess what that manager does? They look at not the quality of the skills of the person. They look at who they like to work with and who they don't like to work with. Exactly what happens. And that first cut is going to be tied to economics. And each, success, each successive cut will be like economics oriented. And if you like where you're at and you want to stay there, you know, an element of staying within a company is having and growing a high level of like economics. And that ties back to this idea of the referent power base and some of the things we're going to talk about. But John or Dana, anything here, anything you want to contradict or anything you kind of want to throw well, back on or anybody in the audience want to throw yeah, some things out? I would love to hear from the audience. I'm going to mute and I want to listen to anyone who wants to chime in with a question or quick comment. Like, I'd love to hear if this is fooey. Like, uh, now, David, I've never seen this happen. Or, yeah, man, this happened to me. Yeah, well, let's keep driving on, but feel free to uh, use the interrupt button and just jump in. Yeah. Yeah, John, absolutely. I mean, I want to hear from you folks as well. So the fundamental truth about Lycanomics, we all do business and build relationships with people we like. The simple metric of likability powers everything from who we are, who we believe to what we buy, and is not simply about being nice. So the first question I'd have, you know, is there anybody, you know, if you want to put in chat or mention it, the first exercise was, was, the people you didn't like, were some of those people nice? So in your economic spectrum, were some of those people generally nice? Yes or no, thoughts, comments on that? Well, we got some text coming in. Let me see if I can see the chats. A couple of them, David, but I said some people on the outside are, quote, nice. Um, but it was unraveling the other parts that were a little harder. Yeah, like um, um, Parkeet talks about, yes, polite and friendly. That's absolutely right. Uh, somewhat nice, but smug. Yep. This is interesting, especially when I can't find ways to look and, to, to look and be like those in control. Yeah, Vicky, we're going to talk. That, that's Vicky, you're exactly right. Oh, man, Vicky, we have a great, we continue to throw it out there. That is part of the challenge. In this in this worldview, and that's part of all the, the the stuff that we see and are challenged with with what we're going through right now as it relates to social justice, as it relates to diversity, and I think a lot of folks don't realize it because they just think it's natural. And then you know when the shoe is on when the shoe is on the other foot, then they start seeing, oh my gosh. But I could talk through how you can learn that as well. But basically, these are good comments. But what you see is some they can be more detailed about, but not being nice like tough love or something. Yeah, there are some people that are also, you know, that are nice, but they're just nice in a different way. But ultimately, we like to work 
with. We like to buy from people we like. And so we have to start thinking about this and what are the elements associated with it? And the elements of it, and this is where you can start bypassing some of the diversity issues. Not all of them, because there's some people who are really stuck in certain stereotypes, but you can start breaking through some of those because of these five elements. The first off is truthful. You know, as I talked to John about, you know, the fact that, you know, he has some characteristics that he knows turn some people off because those same characteristics he sees in others turns him off. Well, the key for that is to be truthful about it. If you know that you have some of these issues in those other four areas, the more upfront and honest you are about that. Like you go into the interview and you say, you know, I just want to let you know, I get really passionate. And when I get passionate, I have a tendency to interrupt. You know, can you just let me know if I'm doing that? And I do apologize for it. And that's something I'm working on. That's an element of truthfulness. Another element of truthfulness as you start the interview out. You know, I, I'm, not a very, I'm not very comfortable in the interview process. I, I'm really excited about this job. So don't take me being a little bit quiet for not, not having the passion. Or, hey, I'm an introvert and my, I feed off of, you know, research and I feed off a of quiet time. So as we go through this interview, don't take, you know, my body language as not a lack of interest. I'm just more of an introvert. I'm really excited. And so instead of using the physical attributes of excitement and passion, you can use the words. You can say, as an introvert, you can say, I am passionate about this. This position really excites me. I get excited when. So you can, if you could be more truthful in situations, because I think we have a tendency to think if we say something bad, then you know it's going to make us look bad. But the next slide you're going to see is there's a modern believability crisis. So a lot of people don't even believe some of the things that you're saying anyways. So it's almost better in some ways to say, yeah, I'm not very good at that. And here's some of the ways I've worked at it. Or I have a tendency to interrupt. So that truth element is extremely, extremely powerful, especially in this very unbalanced negotiation between you know, employ potential employee and employer. The next is relevance. I have to tell you that nine times out of 10, if you really, really, really don't like someone, especially in the office environment, it ties back to they're just not relevant. The fact that when you engage them on X, they start going into um, Y and Z right off the bat, and you can't even get anything back to X. So as, as you start that initial conversation around you know, that job, and about that interview, keeping relevant to the questions that that person's asking is critical. Even if you want to say something that is valuable that you can't get out, you've got to control the urge to do that and try to find the time to bring that out and keep your answers to the question relevant. Or say something like, you know, uh, I, I don't have a very relevant example to share with you, but here are three examples. Are, is this first example relevant or, or, should, or does that not match what you're looking for? So that relevancy thing is, to me, the biggest issue in the job interview process and at work when trying to stay likable. The next is unselfishness. And I think all of us, all of us have a tendency to feel, taste, and have a big 
moment when we feel someone being unselfish. You know, that level, you know, smugness in a lot of cases is a, is a selfish situation. Now, use that word smug, that's because the person is selfish, they're self-centered. They're thinking about things and processing things through themselves. So I'll tell you, my biggest turnoff on selfishness is my team, my people, my organization. Oh, my gosh, I hear it all the time. And that, to me, is a very selfish, self-centered way of presenting something. John, you have something to say? I was just going to say, I've, I've heard that. It sometimes goes unnoticed because I'm in charge and I'm this. Oh, I hate I'll it. Be- how could it, but it could set someone off and make you unlikable because you're, it's sort of, well, my direct reports or. Oh my God. Yeah. My direct or, reports. Yeah, well, the people, and I've heard this, I've had to correct this many times over the years. Uh, well, the people under me, what, what, what? The team, how, how you, how the team. You, I'm, I'm working with the team, the team of workers, the, the group that reports to me, um, the group that reports to me, uh, these are the things I worked with them on. You know, you got to find a way to say it to keep those people as individuals, not subservience, because there are going to be more and more people that are going to be set off by that. And I, I mean, I it just I just hear it. It's almost like, you know, for me now, it's like the fingernails on the chalkboard. You know, mine, 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 I, 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 me, 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 me. You have to watch that, especially in when this world's moving more to team. And team requires a level of unselfish participation and willingness to accept the, the goals of the team over the over the goals of one. John, you have something else to add to that? Well, there's some good comments. I got something to add. Uh, really good. Keep someone else. What? what someone have something? Yeah, for speak here. So uh, you know, I got some feedback on my uh, resume, and uh, you know, uh, you know, it's this conflict of you know wanting to write down the impact I've made. Uh, the resume, by definition, is an individually oriented uh, uh, document. Um, but, you know, I, I feel conflicted because I know uh, much of my accomplishments were in the organization working with, quote, director reports, peers, peers. Uh, so how do you... Um, yeah, how do you kind of balance that? I mean, you, you want to be able to demonstrate that you as an individual can make an impact because that's what you're being hired on. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, Parthi, yeah. yeah I, I got some great thoughts for you on that. So it, first off, it's about the outcomes you achieve and, and the group achieves. As a group, this group, and I was working with this group, and we achieved these outcomes. I was working with Sally, and Sally and I worked together, and here are three outcomes Sally and I achieved together. They're going to see your title. They're going to know that Sally reported to you. You don't have to constantly remind them, Sally worked for me, and because Sally worked for me, these three things happen. Um, go ahead, John. Or you can talk, David, you can also talk about, in particular, you can also talk about the achievements, and, and some of you know one of my favorite things to say on an interview is, as you describe and take the credit you take, just you, in a way, you don't say that, but you say, look, I don't want to take all credit for this because the, my team and our team really work together to achieve these goals. And that's the kind of yeah. attitude I'm going to bring. I get it. But on the resume, you've got you to drive home the positives as much as you can. Go yeah, so, so Chris, Chris talks, you know, so, yeah. 
Bartik, what'd you say, sir? I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying that the reality is there's a bit of a conflict. I mean, arguably, I, I personally feel like I have been very unselfish in my 18-year career with my current employer. I'm, I'm very grateful uh, for that current employment. But, I, uh, you know, I need a little bit of that selfishness done in the right way uh, to, um, you know, to also be likable and, uh, you know, I'm having it. I have to add a little bit more of myself in this job search process. So I'm just highlighting kind of the tension between my tendencies to be unselfish, uh, but when you're in the job search, you, know, you have to be able to articulate what you've done, but at the same time, not overdo it. I guess that's the feedback. Yeah. So here's a couple ways. Yeah. Here's a couple ways. Of, here's a couple ways to do that. You know, at the beginning of the interview, you might say, hey, at times I might say my team, my organization, you know, the people who report to me, I'm very passionate about folks. I don't mean any any ownership or anything like that. Just, just some of the language I use. I know that that team can operate without me and then go about doing your presentation um, and go about interviewing and then maybe say that a second time to reinforce the fact that this is language I use, but it doesn't mean that that's what I believe. I mean, that's the first thing you could do. The second thing you could do, you could always say, look, these are the things I achieved. I mean, these are the, you achieved those things with the team. But the reality is people also want to realize that, you know, there's no, there's no magic formula that says you're going to achieve those things into the future. It may happen. It might not happen. I, I, I've done these things. I will work hard to continue to do those things, and I will do my best I can to represent that these things will occur. Um, it's challenging, Parkey. I, I would say just be comfortable in your style. And, you know, if at all possible, try to pre-reference the, the use of my, if you want to use that when you can. Um, but Chris, you talk about what's the acceptable way of describing a team or employees that you were responsible for. The organization, I, I, I worked, I was the director of this organization. This is the group of folks that, that worked with me that I was responsible for. And those members and individuals, we did this type of stuff together. Um, and that sounds like a lot of a lot of language. Or you can say the team at work for me. Um, you can say my team, but you just don't want to say it like 50 times. I mean, that's the thing you got to watch out for. If it's constantly mine, if it's constantly me, if it's constantly I, that's that's gonna that's gonna be a trigger for some people that, that they're gonna be able to say, uh -uh, I'm not very comfortable with that. And so you want to balance. The reality is um, balancing the selling yourself versus crediting the team. Ah, I mean, most people realize now that things happen through the team. I own the company and, you know, the company was extremely successful, but I could tell you right now it wasn't because of me. Absolutely. I mean, I could put on my resume that we grew 500%, that we sold it for a multiple X beyond, but, you know, the reality is it wasn't for the people in that organization. I would have been nothing. And I think you could say that, you know, you could say, look at this team performed and this is what we did and this is what we accomplished together. You know, and, and here's the things I, I have happened, but my skill was keeping that team together, keeping that team productive, keeping that team successful. And that's a, that's a value attribute that people will see. Because I think organizations are starting to see now, it's not just one hero on the mountain that makes everything work. It's about the individual who can get things done working with other folks. And I think from there, that's the power and in, in this unselfishness is to get the hiring person to understand that you get things done. No longer about you just doing it yourself. 
you got to show stories that you get things done working with the team around you and accomplishing great outcomes because you're working with the people around you. Does that make sense? Does anybody want to further dig into that? And I know I might sound, I might sound a little weak here, but people are starting to register this more and more, and it's catching, it's catching in people's ears more. Dana, you have some thoughts on it? I'll tell you what, David, I think for most of us here, you're covering ground that, you know, just keep rolling. I have, I've made some notes and at the end, I definitely have some thoughts to add to, to your, your theme here, but it's just super fantastic. It's not stuff we hear every day. And I think you just keep on trucking. Okay. Thanks, Dana. Now, uh, the, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Dylan. Oh, sorry. I, yeah, I was no. just going to say, I'll, I'll jump in. I, I think you're exactly right, man. I mean, when you, when you look at, um, you know, at any any of the last few books that John Maxwell uh, has written, you know, and what he he says about uh, leadership, you know, he he says real leaders talk about talk about we instead of me, yeah, um, and you know, and all all these different things, and so I think that, um, you know, at at one time when you know maybe like a a more aggressive sort of like get it done, uh, like, kind of all-in-one guy, you know, maybe personality was favored, just that very overconfident sort of person. I think it really is sort of shifting to where uh, the more inclusive uh, listener, um, you know, that, that type of person is the one that is favored in a lot of hiring processes, honestly. Dylan, I, I completely agree. That's why I'm pitching this. And I would also say Vicky said it really well. People aren't property. And I think that's a big assessment these days that we, you know, my generation early on, we just had, you know, thoughts that, okay, you work for somebody, they told you what to do and you just did it. It was a kind of a property thing. And it's not that way. Knowledge workers are more valuable than the management, than the ownership. And people are seeing that now because knowledge workers create they solve problems. They get things done in complex and complicated environments. And Parkeek, that's what you want to talk about. You want to talk about, okay, I ran into this. We didn't know exactly what was going on. So the team and I, we worked together and we figured out that the problem might have been this, this, and this. Then we tested those three scenarios, found out what the problem was, and then worked together to figure out how to solve that problem with three or four different tests. And then the outcome was this. But without that team, you know, working together in a cognitive cognitively diverse environment, we would have never been able to solve that problem. That's a powerful story because the more you can show you can work with people, here's, here's the main message of this. When you get the right employer, the more that you can show you can work with people who are different than you, there's your power. Because then you're fighting everything of this like economics I'm talking about. You're fighting through it and you're gaining the, the power of diversity, cognitive diversity, identity diversity, and the true dealings with VUCA, volatility, uncertainty, complexity when faced with things you can't see. And if you can't see it, the only person that can see it is multiple people. Now, multiple people who think the same <laughs> won't see it, but multiple people who don't think the same will see ultimately where that problem is. And so that's kind of what, there's a two-sided story here. One is, okay, these are the things you have to deal with in order to be liked, but then how do you fight through this in your career to change the spectrum so we don't have to deal with this any longer? Make sense? John, does that make sense? It, 
It, it sure does. And I, I just thought too on interviews and in networking, you know, bring in those examples of you know how y'all rally together and and talk about the different thought processes, the places where people were physically, yeah, yeah. Uh, their backgrounds. You don't have to bring it in like, let me show you how wonderfully diverse of a thought process I have or my team, but you could, but by personalizing your examples and talking about other people using at least their first names, uh, you know, I work with Pratik and Sujata and Pam and Frank and Chris, and they all had their roles, but we teamed on a Friday, came up with this, and they thought what was going to last for two months, we took it to market within a month. Yes. And let me talk about the results. And those, you know, a couple of people had to dial in. A couple of people were working some crazy hours, but we came together as a team. And that's the kind of group that I hope to rally and work with when I join your team. That's right. And, you know, Vicki, great points on, you know, thinking very carefully about the employers and then, you know, what they're saying. Because that long term, yes. Ultimately, what we're trying to get at here is that, you know, behaviors and actions are driven by mindsets. So as you start looking at behavior, your own behaviors and actions, you got to evaluate those behaviors and actions based on your mindset. And then that's where you might have to adjust your mindset. And the idea of being unselfish is adjusting your mindset around the idea that you get more done by collaborating with the team and empowering the team than you will if you're directing the team. And that's the difference. Are you empowering that team to be successful or are you directing that team? The last two here are really, really important. Simplicity. Yes, we're knowledge workers, but if you're, especially on the scientist side, depending on who you're interviewing, remember in the sales conversation, we talked about personas. There are certain personas that scientists have to watch out for because if you're, if you're a scientist and you're talking to a persona who's more business outcome oriented, you got to control your, your tendency to want to get into detail. The more detail you get into, the more that could cause you problems because they want to understand the simple nature of the cause and effect and not how you got there. And I talk about this as it relates to, sometimes people don't wanna know how the sausage is, they don't wanna know how the sausage is made. They just wanna make sure it's done and it's done at a certain outcome and it's ethical and legal. So you gotta know when to stay simple and then you can go back and do the dirty work. But you, if you don't stay simple, it gets people very uncomfortable. Because I think now we know we live in a complex world and we know it's, it's messy and those folks that can kind of drive through that complex world and find, you know, ways of thinking that are easier are going to be much more likable. And the last thing is timing. Timing is everything, especially in personal relationships, you know, when to say something, when not to say something, you know, when to bring up a thorny issue, when not to bring up a thorny issue, you know, making sure you're letting that person talk, you know, over, over extended period of time, even though you want to be sharing more things, but those are the five elements, and we could spend all day—you know, not, not literally could, but not, nobody wants to—on just digging into those five elements. I know we only have a few more minutes, so there is one last slide I want to talk about, and that's overlaying these five elements with communications. So, first off, there is a modern believability crisis. I can give you five examples just in the last three months alone when real things happened and nobody believed it. They thought it was fake. They thought it was a scam. They thought it was a scenario. And uh, this isn't going on anytime soon because it's been fostered in the culture now for the last three to four years. And it's going to continue to get worse before it gets better. 
So you have to be comfortable to understand and communicate the fact that not everything you say is going to really be believed. And that's how you want to tailor down some of the, some of that big things you're saying happen because someone's going to say, ah, that didn't really happen. Um, people make decisions emotionally, not logically. Absolutely. Especially in anything B2C. If you're doing any type of B2C selling, insurance B2C selling, it's an emotional sale. If it's logical, they're going to find all the reasons why not to do it. And they're going to be apathy. They're going to go apathy because this ties back to a cognitive bias called lost regret. At the end of the day, we don't want to do anything that's going to change because we fear the failure and the change we do. So when people make decisions, it's going to be an emotional decision. Oh, I, oh, I love it. That's the one. That's the one I want to hire. That's the person I want to work with. Stories, stories, stories. And this is why podcasts are hot right now. I don't know if you guys realize this, but long form podcasts are hot. That's what my kids do. Two of my daughters, 23 and 20, they listen to hour and a half podcasts all the time. People love to hear stories. It's, it's in our very nature as a, you know, hunter gatherers. We sit around the fire and we tell stories. The Iliad and Odyssey was one story that was told and the, the lyrics, the singer of songs. I mean, this is how we commit the, troub the troubadours and then the people that, who used to, the criers, hear ye, hear ye. We, that's what we're used to. And we, get, can, we connect with stories, the antagonist, the protagonist of what happened. So, you know, work on some of the stories that you say. Make sure they're not too long, but, you know, put a, a little bit of passion and interest into those stories. Again, simplicity is the foundation of all great communication. Huge, huge. Because then we'll take the simple nuggets and then we'll apply those into our complex environment. I can't give you, you know, complex processes to follow to deal with economics. All I can do is give you some of these ideas, show you some examples, and then you'll apply them to your complex environment. Identity diversity issues. You're going to have to apply these to your complex environment. Language barrier issues. You're going to have to apply these to your complex environment. You know, trans people who are transferring, uh, transferable skills people are going to have to apply these to their complex environment. And this is the crappiest one. Micro expertise. We really are into this micro expertise side, especially when you're working, if you're currently working and you're hamming, your head is hammered against the wall because you're telling people things that they should be doing and nobody's listening because of the believability crisis. They'd rather you bring in some expert blogger to tell them. And sometimes you have to do that. And that's part of the influence aspect of economics is if we understand this, then there's times we have to bring in that outside expert to reinforce some of the things that we're trying to deal with it might not be great, I mean, but that's just what's going on right now. So with that, <laughs> I'll go back and I'll leave you with one you know, ex exercise, and that would be to find two or three people that you trust and have them rate you one through five on the five elements of Lycanomics. And just say, go ahead, John. And David, David if, they, if it comes back, Go to people that love you and care about you and want to help you, uh, not with your biggest enemy. That might beat on you too hard. Um, all right, I'm gonna. But David, thanks a lot for this. Any last last thoughts for the for the recorded part of this? No, I actually don't. Maybe maybe Dana does with the list of stuff that he's gotten. Um, it's a very deep and complex issue because it has the two sides. The one that's a manipulative side to get the job. The other is decide to change society for the better. Got it. What couple best places to interact with you and best reading 
and then we'll end that part of it and we'll go to if you want to stick around folks for Q&A but the form If you guys if you guys really are frustrated by this and it aggravates you that you live in a world like this rethinking fast and slow by Daniel Kuhneman you're thinking fast and slow by Daniel Kuhneman will teach you how to battle it and teach you to teach others how to battle it what basically happens is our brains need a lot of food to process it's it's 2% of our body it's 20% of the energy our body uses so our body our brains go to to stereotypical heuristic patterns because it just is a, wants to be efficient so you got to fight that battle and you got to get into system two thinking. And that is another um, way. That's the way to really fight through this problem that we have from a societal standpoint. Um, anyways, that's, that would be my thought. If you really, you know, if this aggravates you and agitates you, read that book so you can help learn how to help people change. <laughs>